Hello and welcome to Mag Heroes, a show about magazines and the people who make them. I'm Dan Rowden, founder of Magpile and Subsail. This week's guest is Indira Rojas, the founder of Anxi, an award-winning and well-loved magazine about mental health. Although it looked at more serious topics, it found a loyal and enthusiastic readership. Earlier this year, Indy decided to stop producing the magazine after three years and four issues. In our chat, India explained why she started a print magazine after work in digital editorial, how to validate ideas and grow an audience on Kickstarter, and how she used her personal network to fill the roles in her editorial team. For anyone listening who publishes a magazine, I have a discount code for Subsale. Used by magazines like Anxi, Design Anthology, Pressing Matters, and The Lifted Brow, among others, Subsale is a web platform that helps you sell renewing subscriptions on your website. Once you finish your free trial of 20 subscriptions, simply use the code HERO24 to get $50 off your first payments. Sign up and start selling subscriptions in just a few minutes at subsale.com. That's S-U-B-S-A-I-L.com. Now on with the show. Hi Andy, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. Um, so I think we're 12 hours apart uh, time zone wise. <laughs> it's quite interesting. That hasn't happened before. Um, so yeah, what's where are you for a start? Um, well, I live in Oakland here in California. Um, so I'm at home right now. Yeah, you got early morning and I have late at night. Yeah, so what time um, is it for you again? But, well, it's 9 p.m. Okay. <laughs> Here in Mauritius, yeah. <laughs> 9 a.m. for me, yes. Definitely exactly yeah. 12 hours. <laughs> um, so you founded a magazine called Anxi, um, which recently you also closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to go through the kind of magazine's uh, path and hear a bit more about yeah how it came together and how it ended. One of the standout things about Anxi is that you kickstarted every issue. Mm-hmm. Um Let's start first about my Anxi. What is Anxi and why did you start it? Yeah, so Anxi is a mental health magazine with a, a creative um, and artful lens. And I started it because I wasn't able to find similar content out there in terms of addressing very vulnerable personal stories from a very in a very creative way. Um, a lot of the content related to mental health tends to skew towards recommendations and how to's. Um, and I wanted to do something that felt um, like it was addressing these vulnerable stories from from a different perspective. So that, you know, that encouraged me to try to pursue this project. Did you have I mean, have, had you worked with magazines before starting XC? So I, I had worked in editorial before in very um, informal ways. So my first editorial job was actually working for the Bola Italic here in San Francisco, which is a local, mm-hmm. like hyper local um, website where we release the story every day. Um, but that was all online. Um, and then I continued some of that work 
um, working for Medium, where I, I worked on launching a few of our publication verticals a few years ago, including um, Back Channel and QPoint. Um, and that also entailed working with editors and publishing a, almost a story or more than one story a day. So I got really you know, a lot of experience at working with editors and coming up with stories and figuring out assignments, but it wasn't necessarily all print. It was mainly okay. just digital content. Okay, well, why did you start a print magazine then rather than doing more? <laughs> yes. Was it the kind of the tactile, kind of persistent nature of print? It was twofold. One, well, maybe threefold. The first fold is um, I really love printed magazines. And it's, you know, it's something really special when you see an object that, you know, that you love, you, you know, in your, in your home or in your office, and it gives you an excuse to sort of grab it and, you know, look at it and, and sort of remind you, you know, why you own it. And I felt like with online content, one of the things that happens is like you might, you know, get really um, engaged with an article, but then that article kind of disappears um, in the in the internet. And you don't really get an opportunity to revisit it. The other thing that happens is like many times when we're consuming content on our phones or on, on the web, um, we might have other distractions and other things that get in the way, whether it's a notification or a new email or whatever. And, and what that does is like that interrupts the reading experience. And what I wanted to do through, through the printed format was, you know, create an experience in which by default you're sort of unplugged. Um, and you're holding this thing in your hand and it creates a certain level of focus that for me created an environment in which you could really dig deeper into these um, more you know vulnerable topics because you don't want to be talking about something that's difficult and then at the same time be distracted like I felt like it would not allow people to really connect with the content so so the constraints of the, of the printed format seemed ideal hmm. um, yeah when I first picked up Anxi um, I think you definitely nailed that last point because it, f it felt like journalism rather than kind of just like pieces of content um, about the topic of mental health, which I'd never seen before. Um, and it felt very real and um, we just kind of made it more kind of personal. Mm -hmm. I think, like you say, like a digital piece definitely wouldn't give that same kind of appeal. Yeah, definitely um, succeeded on that. How did you start out uh, making the print magazine if you hadn't had any kind of previous uh, experience doing that? Yeah, so, you know, I, I started as a designer, mainly as a graphic designer. So I, I sort of have an idea on how to produce physical things, but I've never produced a magazine per se. So, you know, there was a matter of not looking at, you know, not only looking at what it would require financially to sort of make it happen, but also what are the collaborators that I needed to execute on it. And, you know, the, the my editorial team, you know, Bobby and Jennifer and uh, Maddie and Michelle and Katie, like they were integral in sort of making this come together because without them, um, I wouldn't be able to, you know, fulfill the, the, the editorial and the content part of the magazine. And, and then when it comes to, you know, getting it produced, we have to find like, you know, a, a great vendor and a printer that could help us execute this magazine, but also we needed the funds to do that. And that's where we resorted to um, Kickstarter. And mm -hmm. for us, 
part of what we wanted to do, you know, being here for from from Silicon Valley and a lot of people talking about MVPs and and, you know, coming up with an idea that is you validate your idea before you execute more resources into it. We wanted to see whether Anxi really had um, interest and our first Kickstarter wasn't even um, promoting a particular issue, but it was promoting the concept with the promise of executing on an issue. And at that point, we didn't even know what what our first theme was going to be. So we created this manifesto video that talked about the vision that we had for the issue and the subjects we wanted to tackle. And that was really our, our first kind of like point of validation that this needed to exist. And that first campaign was really successful and we were able to raise more than $50,000, um, which gave, gave us, you know, the encouragement that we needed to keep going and then execute on this project yeah um and then obviously that that was so successful that you went back to do kickstarter again for your second issue um why why did you choose to, to use kickstarter again for us um it meant that it allowed us to basically reduce the risk of tackling that project on our own and have the funds beforehand right so mm. we we did the kickstarter campaign like we were sort of we had a general idea of the the issue we wanted to tackle and we had a general idea of the subjects and and the type of articles that we were gonna include but the issue wasn't fully completed by the time we executed on the on the campaign and that allowed us to sort of gather momentum with the audience that we have already created with the first Kickstarter and be able to do sort of like a, a pre-order of sorts that will help us get the funds early um, and, and use that to, to execute the project. And the interesting thing about Kickstarter, I actually have a good friend that works at BackerKit. Um, and BackerKit is the company that we use to help with the back end of, you know, getting surveys out and getting people to um, give us the information that they need for us to be able to deliver their rewards. And um, so uh, Rosanna, one of the funders and I, we both went to the same school and I talked to her a lot about what it means to, you know, work through Kickstarters. And we, we talked about this idea of creating a snowball effect where your audience becomes, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger, the more subsequent um, Kickstarters that you do because you build on the previous audience of the first Kickstarter. And that's something that really intrigued me because it meant that I could pursue um, growing my audience in a more organic way, but also having the advantage of receiving this capital ahead of time so that I could reduce the risk of the project. Mm. Was it kind of nerve wracking going, like putting out this idea of a future issue and not really having the kind of final idea totally formed um, when you ask people for their money? Or was it kind of, it needed to be in that kind of um, pre-production state to be able to work properly? Yes, I mean, it was a little nerve wracking because, you know, there's always the risk of not being able to achieve your goal. And and that, you know, puts you in a situation, especially with Kickstarter, where if you don't achieve your goal, they don't give you any of the funds. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, we've always felt like we wanted the project to exist if there was enough demand. And that was sort of like a constraint. And Kickstarter allowed us to have that constraint, which is like we want to produce this thing if people want it and Kickstarter allowed us to validate that. I think Anxi might be the only magazine that I know of that has Kickstarted every issue. Wow. Um, okay. Do you, <laughs> do, do you know why it worked for you and maybe 
hasn't worked for other people or maybe there's part of the process that puts people off doing it for subsequent issues you see it seems to be a bit of an anomaly there is this interesting concept that people get um basically that your backers get burned out from kickstarting you every time and i've heard mm-hmm. multiple creators say this and you know my thinking behind it was like well you know here we have um public radio and pr and they do fundraising every few months right mm-hmm. um and and you know they interrupt whatever they're doing to 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 sort of get into that fundraising campaign and and people support them right and and that, for me it was this idea of well could it be possible that the way we're doing kickstarters as a way of pre-orders is sort of our fun our type of you know quote unquote fundraising that would allow us to continue this project and I understand other creators get a little concerned that you're going back to your backers and asking them to support you once again. Um, but you know, if you if you look at it from a different perspective, it's it's no different than you know um, doing a membership or you know blasting your email list with you know new products and requesting them to buy it. Right? It's just another way to ask people for for money and. And for me, I just wanted to break that, you know, mental limitation that, you know, you could only have one Kickstarter and that's it. Because the other thing that I learned through the case study of, of Backer Kid is they actually have a lot of creators who are who do um, uh, tabletop games and they do a Kickstarter every month, not every month, sorry, every six months, um, some of them. Okay. And they've been able to do that for multiple years and their audience has only gotten, you know, bigger and bigger. So mm. this idea of a potential uh, snowball effect is actually possible for certain creators that are very successful via, via Kickstarter. And, and obviously people like the magazine and there was always kind of like, um anticipation of new anxiety uh, issues which, which I, I don't know how you did that uh, there must be kind of a formula there but uh, it looked like whenever you released a kickstarter people were kind of ready to to help fund the next one which is really cool i think that for me it really came down to tackling a subject matter that people were really eager to engage with and that was something yeah. that's something that not doesn't happen all the time like sometimes you have an idea and it doesn't feel that novel or it's not something that people are ready to talk about. But in this particular case, it sort of seems like we really touched on something that people were eager to engage with and talk about and read and and, and discuss. And and that gave us a a bit of an advantage because it seemed that we, um, you know, released this project at the right time where the audience was sort of looking for something like this. And I think that that in a way, I wouldn't say it made it easier, but it meant that we had such enthusiastic readers that it allowed us to, you know, have that energy behind that brand where it felt like people were really um, interested in looking for every issue we were going to release. Yeah. Um, so going back to your team, you just touched on the people involved earlier. Um, how did you, as kind of like the founder, and you mentioned you were looking for people to help with the kind of editorial side of things, how did you go about finding people to fill in the roles that you kind of needed for the magazine? I think that the the thing that was an advantage for me here is that I had created, you know, relationships within the editorial world from all my previous um, jobs. And, and I had, you know, friendships from from those from those, um, you know, past work um, engagements. So I 
I basically first reached out to Bobby. Bobby and I worked together um, at Medium at that time, and and I pitched the idea to him. Um, we used to sit next to each other at the office, so we we had a, a lot of even though we didn't work directly together, we we shared a lot of of our work experience and. And I and I, you know, admired um, Bobby and his editorial approach. And I was like, what do you think of a magazine like this? And he similar to I, it's like similar to me. He's also a big like magazine enthusiast. Um, and he I, I could see that he he thought that there there might be something here. And that was like the first um, person to kind of encourage me to pursue this project. Um, later on, I reached out to you know, um, Jennifer, who used to work um, together with me at, at the Bull Italic. So that was that connection was made. Um, and then um, we roped in Maddie, who also worked with us at Medium and, and Michelle, who um, uh, also worked at Medium. Um, and it was just a matter of, again, creating all of these connections to, through these friendships. And um, Katy, um, who, who lives in Berlin, she knew Bobby from a work that they've done at Medium as well, and and Katy has always been interested in in magazines, um, and and we sort of were like, what what do you think about this magazine? And and she was sort of interested in the idea as well. So it was just like a matter of you know like like anything, you want to use the people close to you and the people that believe in 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 your work and be, believe in in what you're doing, and and sort of like reaching out to those to to, to those um, people who who complement your talents as well and, and can kind of um, collaborate with you for something like this. So, so I mean, I feel very grateful that from pitching them the idea, they were, you know, very into it and, and were willing to sort of like um, get involved. Yeah, and reading Axie, it always came across to me that it wasn't kind of a one or two person team making it. It always felt more kind of, like there was a, a range of voices or a range of opinions kind of coming together and making this like beautiful magazine um so yeah i mean well done for creating such a great team <laughs> um and yeah i mean i'm still sad that the magazine is ending um, yeah. i think it's a, a month ago you announced that you're going to stop producing angsty mm-hmm and I, I, like I said before, it's it's a popular magazine that people are always kind of anticipating coming out. So to hear that it's being stopped, I think there was a lot of um, comments and stuff on social media, people being sad and <laughs> not wanting it to go away. <laughs> but um, obviously that was probably a tough decision for you to make. So what what kind of happened or what made you decide to stop producing it? Yeah, it's sort of interesting because when you start a project, there is always this sort of sense of, you know, the stars aligning, um, you know, thinking about the, the first, you know, uh, conversations that had with Bobby and the, and the team and, and what, you know, unfolded after, like everything felt like it was gaining the sense of momentum. Um, and that momentum allowed the project to continue. Um, and, you know, starting at the end of last year, some of those stars started to not align as well anymore through a combination of, you know, having to work on the magazine, but also having to fulfill my role as um, creative director of my design studio, Anagraph, um, and also feeling like um, we were getting to a point where it, it, it wasn't easy for us to transition into um, making ANCSI such a large scale that it could support, you know, 
all of these many um, roles and editors and, and creatives, right? Like one of the advantages of, of Angsty being so unique was the large team that we had, but it also it's disadvantage in terms of like how big the project needed to do to support an ecosystem of that size. Um, if you look at a lot of indie mags, um, they're usually done by a, a smaller team. Um, sometimes you can have something as a team as one person or two people or three, right? Um, and, and it just became increasingly difficult to figure out how do we make this project sustainable? And even more difficult when a, a lot of us were working on other things to sort of keep, you know, our lives, you know, together. So, so it, it just, you know, I... I felt that if we wanted to really scale Angsty to the next level, we had validated enough of what we've done to see if investors would be interested in helping Angsty get to to you know the next phase. And and the challenging thing with that was that because we pursued Angsty as a printed magazine, looking at the type of investments that are happening in media, they they basically happen in the digital realm. So that became a limitation for us. And, and once that kind of became clear that that was not gonna be the path ahead, um, it was just a matter of deciding whether we had more in us to extend this roadmap into turning Angsty into a, a digital product. And, and you know, considering the circumstances of all of us in, in our lives and the other things that we were doing, it, again, the starts didn't align for us to be able to continue in that way. You just um, finished another kickstarter right yes <laughs> um, like a, a group of all your four four issues together um is that that's come out now yeah so i yeah i have the boxes and they look great and i'm actually i've been shipping um i've been spending a lot of time shipping in the past a few weeks um and you know i i had the inkling that there was a possibility that the project would stop here and i i really okay. wanted to sort of wrap it you know like put it kind of kind of close the chapter in a way that honored mm -hmm. all of the people that helped us make this project possible and 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 that's why even though you know i wasn't sure where things were going i i, I made the time to to sort of do this um box set campaign um not only because i wanted people who had just discovered angsty to be able to you know get all of the issues but also for right. people who had backed us from the beginning for them to feel like they were part of this project and they had this thing that was um you know kind of like um wrapped in a way that they felt like they were part of it and we only produced like 200 boxes so it's only a few amount of people who are going to be able to have um, this collection mm -hmm. in this way um, and and again that speaks to the spirit of us trying to do something you know unique and small and indie yeah um, and in retrospect it's like a, a brilliant ending to the magazine offering the box set of the four issues in a nice package um, at the time I guess no one knew what was coming <laughs> yes it's a really nice way to kind of end in the publication yeah, and the cool thing about the box is that it has, you know, the names of every, you know, contributor involved and and it really, I don't know, it does something to help you feel uh, like it is complete because I didn't want Anxie mm. to feel like it was incomplete. Um, and in yeah. a way, like this phase of Anxie um, sort of is at where it needed to be and having that sense of, of ending and conclusion through like packaging it in this way for me, it was a symbol for what we hope um, angsty become in people's lives, where this is something that maybe 
even years from now people will look back to um, and is content that they can revisit because our our stories are evergreen and and I know this is true because I still have people emailing me about issue one that we produced two years ago <laughs> you know um, so so it was really beautiful for me to be able to create this container and 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 hope that it just becomes a you know uh, an item in your bookshelf that you keep coming back to. Um, so what's next for you? Um, continue with Anagraph? Um, any more publications or magazine projects? No, not yet. Um, Maybe. I, <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. I'm, I'm in the process of figuring that out. Um, I, I did, through this decision, I did close out my studio. Um, and I'm currently sort of figuring out whether I'm going to be joining um, as a creative director within a larger organization. You know, one of the things that I learned is that um, it, it's difficult to fulfill a role in an effective way and also meet all of these other requirements of, um, you know, all these other roles that are part of the everyday of running a business. And I think that that's the 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 biggest learning for me in terms of um, doing these two projects, both running my studio and running the magazine, is that at the end you're running a business. And I found myself, um, you know, not only being a creative director and not only designing, but also being the HR person and the bookkeeper and, you know, all of these everyday tasks. Um, and for the scale that we were working at, that was, you know, not sustainable. and. And something that I, I, I'm really looking forward in, in, in whatever I do next is sort of having a more robust support system in which I can really fulfill the role of a creative director and have an, an, an infrastructure around me um, in which, you know, other people are in these other roles that allow the business to move forward. And, and I don't know if I'll do, I'll try like a venture again. I, I, I Knowing me, I'm always really interested in doing my own things, so maybe it will happen. But one of the things that I learn is like the importance of, you know, getting like what people call the back of the house, you know, structured in such a way that that you can really scale. And and I've learned so much about what it would take to scale and what are the limitations um, from being like a very indie one person uh, structure to a larger team to then wanting to, you know, create a global brand. Um, and, and I'm hoping that those learnings will help me in whatever endeavors I, I engage in in the future of, of knowing now, you know, what to look for and what things need to be in place to really help something, you know, get to its next stage. Well, I'm sure whatever you, you do next, um, you'll smash it like you have with Anxi. Um, <laughs> I hope so. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are going to miss the magazine and who cherish the issues that you did produce. Um, thanks for the chat today and sharing the story of Anxi. And yeah, all the best for the future. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Indy for coming on the show. For anyone who wants to check out Anxi before it's gone forever, you can still buy back issues at anxiemag.com. To listen to previous Mag Heroes episodes, you can go to magheroes.net or search for Mag Heroes in any podcast app. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments about what Anxi means to you. 
Let me know on Twitter by tweeting me at MagHeroes. I'm Dan's Mags on Instagram. And I'll catch you next week for another episode. Cheers. Cheers.